podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Excitement in the Emirates as Muncie Mania descends on Dubai. King Kevin and Stunning Still are at Ireland's bedrock as the boys in green go Abu Dhabi do. And we check in on old friends, acknowledge rising powers, and salute the greatest kit in cricket history. This is the Gorilla Cricket Podcast Men's World T20 Qualifier Special. This is all about cricket. Gorilla Cricket. Not just runs and wickets. So come and get it. Gorilla Cricket Podcast. Welcome to the Gorilla Cricket Podcast, the weekly podcast from the world's leading independent cricket commentary provider, Gorilla Cricket. We're recording on the evening of Thursday, the 17th of October 2019, and we extend one part sympathy and three part giggling to Aidan Markram, who, when he found out that he should have reviewed his second innings dismissal in the second India vs. South Africa test in Pune, punched a solid object, object in the dressing room, thus breaking his wrist and ruling himself out of the third test. But much more importantly, we're on the eve of the Men's T20 World Cup Qualifier in the UAE. 14 teams, 2 weeks, as opposed to 10 week, ten teams and 6 or 7 weeks, as we saw in the 50-over tournament in the summer. CICC, it can be done. And a showcase, albeit an overdue and partial one, for the best male cricketers below the top level of international T20 cricket. I'm your host, Knuckle Mpande, and I'm joined well, by nobody in person. I'm flying solo in the GC studio. But I've got friends on the phone, and highly knowledgeable and interesting ones at that. Associate cricket journalist and cricket Europe writer Andrew Nixon making his GC podcast debut. Hi, everybody. And GC's associate cricket director, collector of degrees and citizen of everywhere all at the same time, professor, doctor, and go on then also a lawyer, Tasneem Samariel Akhunzada Sadiq Khan. How are you doing, Taz? Cannot believe you just used my full name. <laughs> oh my god, this feels like court or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great, thank you. How are you guys? All good, all good. Very excited about the uh, about the tournament. For those of you who, before we get into the podcast properly, just uh, so, just in case uh, some of you don't know uh, how this tournament's going to work. So there's 14 teams, some of whom qualified automatically via their T20 rankings, uh, some of whom qualified via uh, regional sub-qualifiers and uh, then regional qualifiers. Six qualify for the first round of the T20. They'll go into two groups of four, along with Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, uh, who finished uh, in... Uh, in those positions uh, when the cutoff was made for the rankings. Uh, so these two, 14 teams will be divided into two groups of seven. The top of each group goes straight through to the semis and thus through to the T20 World Cup. The second uh, plays the third, uh, so second in Group A plays third in Group B and vice versa. The winner of that also goes through to the semis and thus the World Cup. And then the losers of the 2v3 playoff play each play the fourth team place team in the group. The winners of that go through uh, to the World Cup, so six teams from fourteen. Just uh, let's talk about the format, guys. Uh, why don't we start there? It seems to me that it's a hell of a lot fairer than uh, the last sort of qualifier for a global tournament we had. Uh, certainly, um, and it is a it's a good format. It just shows that when the IC want to, when the uh, sort of TV men aren't making the decisions, that they can actually have a good tournament format. Yeah, since you talk about TV men, I mean, the the TV men won't be there for half the tournament because uh, a couple of the grounds are being are taking. Sorry, a couple of the uh, grounds that are being used are academy grounds, which won't have the TV camera set up, which uh, isn't ideal. This time, unfortunately, we won't have Myrna Crema Media Inc. Uh, to watch uh, for us to watch uh, the games. Taz, I mean, you, you and I um, and many of us uh, complain bitterly about the uh, about the 50 over World Cup format. I just want to get your thoughts on. On, on this format and whether it's likely to be as as cutthroat as we've uh, as we've seen a lot of qualifying tournaments in the past. 
Knuckle? Yep. I can hear you fine. Yep. Sorry, you cut out you cut out for me for a second. Um whether it would be as cutthroat, can you repeat what you said after that? Uh yeah, just as as previous qualifying tournaments we've seen. So I'll take that last question first and talk about that a little bit. I think um, everybody has some familiarity with how tight games are in the T20 format of the game. Um, I-, I think it's going to be incredibly cutthroat in the sense that there's a lot of teams here to compete and we're going to see tight results and it's going to be not uh, a cakewalk, I think, for any team. So it's definitely cutthroat, but I would agree with Andrew and, and yourself, really, in thinking that it's a little bit fairer than what we do see in the other formats. Part of that is because it is, of course, the ICC's chosen format for development. And there is a much smaller um, seeming gulf uh, between all teams, whatever ranking they're at, in this tournament. So it does make sense... Yeah, um, I think that I think that's right. Um, everyone's got T Twenty international status. We won't get the uh, the desperation that we had at the end of the Fifty Over World Cup with some teams uh, playing to keep their status and essentially, um, in many cases, their livelihoods. I mean, we saw uh, Peter Boren, we saw Preston Momsen basically have to retire from uh, from top level cricket um, as a result of that of that tournament and and teams not getting. Uh, the results they wanted and get, thus getting the uh, the games they wanted, but um, but yeah, as, as you say, uh, the the t- the ICC, you know, I think the while the retrograde step they've made in fifty over cricket is is so big that it can't quite be nullified by this. I think that um, I think that some well, of the no, work no, of the ICC. No, no, no. No format can nullify any other. You know, there's a responsibility to be taking the right approach in all three formats of the game, even if it mm. is the development format. Oh, 100% agree with that. Um, absolutely no question that, um, you know, because the ICC have made the right decision uh, in, in the T20 format, men, men's and women's, um, regardless of what the stats purists say, it is good that uh, two teams can decide to play a T20 and it be called an international. That doesn't absolutely let them off the hook. Um, for the for the shockingly retrograde steps they've made in in the 50 over format and in in Test cricket as well, um, and you talk about you talk about the depth, um, you know, the two teams who have uh, who have performed at a, at a higher level in, in the 50 over formats, um, you know, the USA are a full member of the I Nation and and Nepal have been one of the one of the strongest teams and the sort of the best followed teams of that uh, at this level. Neither of them qualified for this tournament. Yeah, I think that just goes to show the strength in depth of associate cricket. Um, you know, Singapore have qualified ahead of Nepal, and uh, Bermuda have qualified ahead of the USA. And there, there is so much depth in associate cricket now. The gap is narrowing, not just between the bottom four members of the top associates, between the top associates and the sort of next next group of associates as well. Yeah, I think that's. That's absolutely correct. I, I heard um, Jared Kimber, who's now talk, who's now uh, the analyst for uh, for Scotland, having moved out of of journalism, saying that he he doesn't expect even the even the strongest teams to be able to go through the tournament unbeaten. Uh, well, that's as good a way as any into the into the teams are going to be competing. We'll start with Group A and and Scotland. Um, looking at it from the outside, and you know, I don't I do try and follow associate cricket but i certainly don't follow it as closely as either of you two um i I would have scotland as my favorites going into the tournament 
Yeah, it's uh, it's fair to some extent, but but the thing with any tournament, particularly in this format where you know you d it does come down to tight margins, and there can be surprises on any given day. Um, I, I think Scotland is head and shoulders development wise above certain associate countries. That gulf is very small up at the top, but they absolutely are. But it's a very very tight format. I think unbeaten um, is is something that nobody should be thinking about. And Scotland have had a good lead up to this stage but it hasn't been as ideal as they you know would have liked um they lost the the tri-series uh to ireland it was obviously by a very small mar margin it came down to the final ball but you know it hasn't been as smooth sailing even from the preparation side um as as any team really would like going into a tournament like this they know that their competition is very strong they may be very strong themselves but i think you know favorites you need to talk about a group of favorites um you know like single single teams well, a lot can happen because of matches and net run rates and, and things that happen on a day. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, and you know, we, we saw in the 50-over uh, World Cup qualifier, Afghanistan were the clear favourites in, in that. And whilst they did eventually get to the final, they only just scraped through to the, the knockout stage by the skin of the teeth. So the favourites don't always do well in these associate tournaments. Absolutely. No, no absolutely not. I mean, there's, uh, there's a couple of different... Um, sort of combinations in which you can go for that 50 over uh, qualifier where everyone beat everyone literally because of X beats Y loses to loses to Z the whole thing is a giant game of rock paper scissors um, you know in the warm up games you know um, the UAE have had a really torrid um, time in the in the run up to the tournament with uh, certainly two of their best players and, a, and another player as well um, being forced to withdraw because of pretty serious corruption allegations but uh, but they beat Scotland in the warm-up game as much as you can lead into a warm-up um, read into a warm-up game. Yeah, um, warm-up games you know, don't always go the uh, the way that the tournament matches do, as we as you know, as we often see. And yeah, as you said, the UAE have had a pretty uh, sort of disastrous build-up to Stone. Also, lost the captain as well as the, you know, the best batsman and the best bowler. You know, Shyman and was that I think he's ranked twentieth in the ICC's T Twenty I rankings, or whatever, however much stock you can put in those rankings. So that's yeah, that's a big loss to the UAE. Yeah, Mohammed Naveed as well, um, and Shemin Amor was very good actually. The last t uh, the twenty fifteen World Cup that the UA uh, qualified uh, for, but well, we'll come on to group. We'll come on to Group B, and yeah, and yeah there's another team in Group B have also had a uh, a tricky time. But yeah, you know, just uh, we'll kind of go through the teams one with one. Scotland um, certainly is a really powerful and exciting top four. I mentioned George Munsey at the top of the show, and he's someone I've been kind of very excited about for a, for a little while. But um, a really strong opening partnership in Callum McLeod and Matthew Cross and Richie Barrington uh, as well. Um, while you're right, Taz, that you know you you can't say so and so are the standout favourites in pretty much any T20 competition. But in terms of the power game, in terms of what what you might think of as a modern T20 um, setup, um, that that's pretty powerful and pretty exciting. Yeah, uh, I think there's a factor that we have to remember here, which is that um, pitches are definitely going to come into consideration. UAE pitches are their own creature amongst the entire cricketing world. And as good as Scotland are at home, they were also you know, pretty good in South Africa in their warm-up as well. They haven't had um, an exceptional amount of experience. You've got a couple of guys who have played in the UAE and will be playing in the UAE coming up. But when you compare them to a team like like the United Arab Emirates themselves, although they've had a difficult lead-up, it does make sense that in these conditions, their side can do better. Um, so I, I think the conditions are against Scotland on this one. Ireland have gotten to have an entire series, a pentangular series in Amman. 
I'm not saying that the pitches in Oman are the same as the UAE, but it's a lot closer to conditions than, than we get in the UK, whether it's in Scotland or Ireland, than it is to UAE pitches. So I think that's going to make a difference. Um, when, when we talk about Scotland's strengths, they definitely have a very strong batting. They have a decent bowling game as well, and they've brought a couple of spin options. So they're not an incomplete side. They're a side made up of very, very, very good players. Um, so I think that they will do well, but I think that there are a few other factors that other teams have that they maybe do not in this competition. Yeah, certainly true that their power game might not come into things on what can be very low, slow pitches. I mean, the the last sort of tournament I watched at length in the UAE was the Asia Cup, uh, 50-over Asia Cup, where um, and, and those pitches just got slower and slower and slower as the tournament went on. And slower and slower as the tournament went on. Uh, and and basically made the made power hitting very very difficult. But as as you say, um, Taz, you know the, there's a there's a very well balanced attack. Sofyan Sharif, Alistair Evans, and Josh Davy um, as the as the seam attack, and then uh, uh, Wat Leesk and Hamza Tahir as the uh, as the spinners. Um, moving on through through Group A, uh, the Netherlands obviously. Um, uh, a lot of players who, who fans of English counter cricket will be very um, very familiar with Ryan Dendiscarter uh, coming out of the mourning period for his uh, the loss of his uh, platonic life partner Rahu Bopara to Sussex uh, we've got Colin Ackerman we've got Rola von der Merwe uh, and uh, the seam attack von der Hucht and von Meeker and, and, and Snater have all got a lot of a lot of county experience again does that the, the Netherlands team again does that sort of could you characterise them also as a, as a team made up of very good players? Uh, absolutely. It, it goes beyond those players as well. Max O'Dowd is a very talented player. People who watched the um, European uh, Champions League cricket tournament, they introduced Pavel Florin to the, to the world back in the summer, will remember Max O'Dowd who... Uh, it was hitting it to all parts in the in the well, one particular part really uh, in the final. <laughs> um, that was obviously a smaller ground than he's going to be playing on in in the UAE. But he you know, he is a uh, he is a big hitter, very uh, useful player to have in twenty twenty. Yeah, hundred percent. Ben Cooper as well, uh, very very experienced uh, in 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 various conditions. Uh, a lot, I think, is going to looking from the outside uh, again. A lot will depend um, on on Roller Fundamerva. One thinks. I was going to let Taz go for that. <laughs> Sorry, guys, you're cutting in and out for me. We're having a little bit of a tech issue here. This was inevitable at some point, but we'll try and soldier on. Uh, how much of that question, if all, if, it, if any, did you hear, Taz? I heard Roloff Vandermerver, and that was pretty much it. Uh, well, basically, that was... Uh, you can almost leave it at that, but it'll be... Um, the question was, you know, you were talking about conditions, and quite rightly, and you know, those things shouldn't be discounted, but, um, you know, in Roller Fundamover, the Netherlands maybe have a, uh, a bit of an edge there with such an experienced spinner. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a vital component to do well in the UAE. And, you know, they have Tendo who, for any T20 anywhere, he has a lot of experience in that part of the world. But really, any T20, he's a situation player. So, again, it's a team of very good players. There's a couple of young bowlers in there, um, Brandon Glover, Paul Van Meekren, both are who both of whom are very good in the format. Um, you mentioned Glover. It's another very good side. Um, Scott Edwards as well, very good wicketkeeper. It's another very good side, um, and I think that they will come together and do well in the competition. Uh, but, you know, like we said before, competition's very tight up top. I don't know I would, if I'd still consider them my favourites. 
<laughs> yeah, sure. Um, Gentry with the Netherlands, actually, you've got a lot of very experienced uh, players, although they haven't always um, played together that much. Colin Ackerman and Rolf van der Merwe are relatively new to the uh, to the to the Dutch, and certainly Colin Ackerman only this year. This this kind of feels like it's almost a situation where Ireland were a few years ago, where it's a lot of players coming towards the end of their career at the same time. Uh, it certainly seems that way, but they're producing some young players, which um, Ireland weren't doing as as much of um, a, a few years back. So uh, they have a, they have a bit of a pipeline there. Um, Philippe Bossovan is playing in this tournament, very talented uh, leg spinner, uh, and you know definitely uh, one to watch for the future there for the Netherlands. That's great to hear, legs, uh, leg spin Zinderbad. Uh, moving on to Papua New Guinea, who uh, were unbeaten throughout the the East Asia Pacific. Uh, regional qualifier and become a very uh, strong team in that, that part of the world. Uh, Tony Ura lit up the 50-over uh, qualifier, but uh, looking beyond the sort of the star name, who else should we be looking out for with PNG? I think Asad Valor and Legacy Aka both capable of uh, some big innings as well. There, Asad Valor has, has often sort of hit big in 20, 2020 regional tournaments. You can't always read too much into that East Asia Pacific uh, uh, competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Papua New Guinea are very much the, the you know the big fish in the small pond uh, there. Um, Vanuatu are starting to push them a little bit, um, but aside from that, they don't have much competition, which often can sort of count against them when they come into these global qualifiers. They did only just miss out last time, um, but I think the other teams have perhaps started to come on a bit better than they have. Obviously, on again, only scraped ODI status uh, earlier this year uh, by the skin of the teeth and. They are. They have some talented players. I hope they don't sort of do what the under nineteen team did and uh, get arrested the night before <laughs> a, a crucial match. Um, uh, that certainly didn't uh, go down well. And uh, plenty of shoplifting opportunities in the UAE. Yes, uh, yes, definitely. Um, obviously, I'm sure the uh, team management will have uh, the players very much uh, under wraps. Real talk, the UAE is maybe one of the last places in the world I would feel like getting my shoplifting on. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's a pretty, um, how should we say That's this, really punitive justice approach. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's as you say, PNG um, very much the strongest team in their uh, in their qualifier, and uh, but uh, uh, and coming up against uh, coming up against some teams who've had probably a, a harder route uh, to the tournament. We'll come on to uh, come on to those uh, through the uh, through the course of this podcast. But uh, moving through the group, uh, Namibia, um, who have a number of players with. Uh, with some first-class experience in in South Africa, also by far the two best-named uh, players in the tournament, uh, Piki France and Givago Grunewald, which is absolutely glorious. Uh, but uh, Namibia seems to be a very well-structured um, setup. Setup. Sorry, Taz, I cut across you there. Or Andrew, if you can pick that one up. Uh, yeah, uh, they've um, sort of dropped out of the South African first-class system in in recent years, but there's obviously still a lot of experienced players there. 
Um, your Craig Williams has been around for a long time, Christy Vilhoon as well. Uh, but yeah, Piquillo France, as you say, and Javago Grunewald, some excellent names there. Piquillo France was a, a clip uh, circulating of his bowling action um, a couple of weeks ago, which is absolutely an absolutely beautiful uh, action. Uh, I can, if you, I'll recommend people seek that out. Oh, it is beautiful. It's a lovely sort of crouching uh, approach to the wicket and then a lovely sort of up and down loop. Uh, really very, very pleasing to watch indeed. Uh, and if you do get a chance to uh, to watch him uh, in, in some of the games that the media have that are televised, uh, definitely go, uh, go and seek them out. Um, Andrew, you mentioned Singapore um, a little bit earlier, but... Um, you know, a lot of attention gets drawn by Tim David because of his BBL experience, and also the fact that um, certain commentators on the uh, on the warm-up games uh, got his uh, country of birth wrong. Uh, but uh, as you say, uh, knocked out uh, Nepal with some of their some of their star names. Uh, how good are Singapore, and how dangerous uh, will they be in this tournament? Uh, they've certainly been improving in, in in recent years, and obviously getting ahead of Nepal uh, on paper. Your Nepal were. I think it ranked 11th in the world at that time. I think that ranking very much flattered Nepal. Uh, they they are a, a mercurial team. I think is the is the term people often use. They uh, they associate Pakistan. They are either sort of brilliant or or sort of maddening um, at, at times. Uh, obviously, rely heavily on Nepal. Have relied in the past heavily on Paris Kadka and it. You know, so it wasn't entirely a surprise that Singapore qualified. And obviously, recently beat Zimbabwe as well in a tri series. So they've, you know, they've got some form coming in into this tournament. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and that kind of confidence that you uh, that can be uh, that can be brought into a tournament uh, can be uh, can be invaluable when you sort of coming into the tournament at the right time. Uh, again, I'm quite interested in um, who else other than the the star name we. Um, uh, we should be looking at, you know, a lot of people would be very familiar with Tim David's exploits, and he was brilliant uh, during the during the Asia qualifier. But um, who else should we be looking out for for Singapore? I think they're probably the captain, Am, uh, Amjad Mahmoud. He's a uh, very uh, he's a very quite tactically astute, uh, which is often key in uh, 2020 cricket these days. He uh, reacts quite well to your know, changing game situations when you know when uh, his team are in the field. Yeah, it can be absolutely crucial keeping one's head uh, when when the game gets tight. Taz, are you still are you still with us? Are you able to hear us? Yeah, I can hear you now. I was cutting in and out. Um, I'd probably add Chandra Mohan to the list as well. Um, beautiful batsman. Canada already know how dangerous he is. Uh, I, I think that he could be one key player for this um, Singapore side. That's uh, yeah, Surrender and Chandra Mohan. So he uh, will come on to actually with the. Um, I wanted to ask you specifically about the influence of the the Canada C Twenty League when we get on to Group B. But we'll wrap up uh, or we'll wrap up Group A. Uh, a couple of a couple of nations who have been uh, on uh, probably more prominent uh, uh, on the world stage in recent times. Kenya, um, Colin Tabuya somehow still going. Uh, just, uh, he's he's, he's only thirty-eight. So he's not. He's not that old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean he's, he's young compared to me. So you know, that's that's. That uh, you know, he's been playing for Kenya since two thousand. One of one of the longest-serving international cricketers around at the moment. Yeah, age is just a number. Shoaib Malik's been playing since nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, at the tournament itself, we may well see Chris Gale, who's also been playing since uh, nineteen ninety-nine. But. Um, Kenya pretty well led by by Shimon Goche. Uh, are are Kenya still are Kenya actually reviving? 
Uh, yes and no, <laughs> if that makes sense. They, they, they very, so they occasionally threaten to sort of start coming back, and then something happens usually administratively and back in Kenya, and they sort of, sort of drop drop down a bit again. So it, it's, it's sort of hard to sort of exactly pitch. Is this is this the revival, or is this just another sort of false turn? Yeah, that's an interesting question. We we see this at the full member level with the with the West Indies. Um, kind of is the is the structure there to keep that keep that pipeline going and keep that that talent coming through to where it should be. Uh, it, it seems to sort of they seem to have a pipeline despite everything. Right. Um, your players still come through. Your, your especially in uh, Nairobi cricket is a very you know popular popular sports especially on amongst the sort of Asian community there and they they do keep producing these players despite everything so they do you know they are often do quite they've not been doing as well at under 19 level uh, recently but so sort of, they seem to sort of they seem to be sort of late bloomers very much a lot of these players so um they do keep getting the players through at a senior level but yeah is this a, a, a the actual revival or another false dawn as i said it's 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 probably too early to say well, they came through. Uh, uh, sorry, Taz, go ahead. Jump in there for a sec. Um, you know, like I, I understand exactly where you're coming from, and you're right. There's been ups and downs, but I would just like make a slight amendment that I think that no matter what associate country you're looking at, there's still always the talent there. I think getting the mm -hmm. talent in and getting them up to where they need to be. Um, yes, it's a, a resource question with with getting them up to where they need to be, but. All associate countries, especially in this format, are doing that today. Mm. They're finding talent, they're getting it where they need to be. It's it's other things that are faltering. Um, we touched upon the UAE match-fixing stuff, so, so it's a little bit relevant to throw in that. I think what the issues with associate cricket, it's not the talent. It's not are the bowlers there, are the batsmen there. I think it's the stuff that causes things like corruption in cricket. And Obviously, we need to say that it's it's alleged corruption. It's being investigated. We'll see what the outcome is when the outcome happens. But um, the real issue is that players have day jobs in in most situations, in most places, in most associate countries, if not all. And as a result of this, it means that whatever their performance or or display of their skill set is going to be, particularly in a competition like the one that we're about to see, it's going to be based around those factors maybe more than um, the individual batsmen or the individual bowlers around. Well, that's kind of what I was trying to drive at is, a, is kind of a question of structures and a question of uh, of support. And obviously, uh, um, you know, fun funding plays into that too. Even where structures are a little bit weaker, the talent is there. You know, in almost mm. every associate country that we have on the world spectrum, the only thing that, that needs tweaking to get certain sides up to where they need to be is the professionalization aspect. It should be so uh, players regard this and, and, and have this um, capable of being their full-time professions, something that they pursue. When that becomes realized on the elite level, you get that filtering into the grassroots. So whatever development structures do exist, they will start to formalize more. You'll get more people coming in. You'll have like a faster pathway to, to the elite level. Yeah. I really do think that, that more of it is about the professionalization aspect than we we think about most of the time anyway. Well, a hundred percent, yeah. Um, there's very obviously no shortage of talent uh, in any of the nations that we're we're about to see. We're about to see some. We'll see some superb performances from from every team 
uh, players on every team throughout this tournament. That I have no no doubt about. But as you say, it's about how you channel that and and get it coming through more consistently and and get to a situation where players don't have to make the choice between uh, between making a living and playing cricket. Yeah, absolutely that. Sorry, I thought that Andrew was going to say something there. Yeah, absolutely that. And and when you get those um, formalized structures in, then you're just going to see greater consistency on the world stage. But I do think that is one of the components why, although a team like Scotland is going in with an incredibly good development structure, with a very good side, comprising like excellent players on the world standard, all it could take in a competition like this is a little bit of a spark, a little bit of energy, and we'll see certain results that are different than we expect particularly on what can be slightly erratic pitches. They can be low and slow, or they can be flat. And and it's really a little bit of a coin toss to see which way they'll go. All of these factors and more will uh, will uh, will come into play. Um, the final team in Group A is, is a team who have no shortage of spark. Bermuda, uh, who came through uh, the Americas uh, qualified, only lo- lost once in that, in that tournament, beat the USA, who are now an ODA full member, beat them twice, uh, in, in fact. Uh, fans of county cricket and glorious straight dives will be familiar with Delray Rawlins, uh, a glorious player to watch when he's uh, when he's going well, uh, and a couple of players who are kind of uh, who are kind of bound by one unifying factor that of Dwayne Leverock, uh, Malachi Jones, who was the bowler uh, off whom Dwayne Leverock took that catch uh, in the 2007 uh, World Cup, and uh, Dwayne's nephew Kamal Leverock, um, who uh, many observers say is a um, is, is a very very fine cricketer. And he has the best uh, Twitter handle in associate cricket. His Twitter handle is Dwayne Leverock's nephew. <laughs> Amazing. That's absolutely beautiful. Keeping the history alive. But yeah, Bermuda, um, again, a team who um, seemed to come into that 2007 World Cup uh, very much with the, uh, perhaps a little bit too late for the end of their that generation, but um, seems to be uh, that there is uh, a group of talented players coming through all at the same time. Yeah, uh, you know, Bermuda sometimes gets a sort of bad name in associate cricket. It's, you know, it's often the, oh, we don't want to expand the World Cup, so you have teams like Bermuda. But you know, Bermuda's a, you know, it's not, it's not a country, it's a territory with a, you know, a population of about 65,000. For them to actually got to the World Cup is, is, a, is a triumph. And, the fact, and the, you know, the fact that they have a chance of getting to another World Cup is, is equally a triumph. That they, and that they produce these players, you know, those are the Delray Rollins with Sussex, and you know, they were very lucky to get him in that regional qualifier. The good county sides don't always release players during the season. Uh, they 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 are punching very much above their weight, and they were they were a talented side. They've actually got another survivor from the 2007 World Cup, Engineer Tucker, who who is who is older. I think he's about 45 uh, now. So he, I, I, that's, how, that's how I judge how old how, whether players are old now. Are they older than me? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm going to start employing that. I'm okay for a bit, then. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a little bit a little way off that. Yeah, but I, I did have the interesting thing of having to uh, come to terms with the first England captain who was younger than me in 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 Joe Root. But uh, I'm I'm doing doing all right uh, on that score. So that that's Group A. Um, we we've, we've kind of made a case for everyone um, there. But just uh, just very quickly, guys, who do you think will um, will go through from that from that group? 
Yeah, I think you think uh, Scotland and Netherlands will be, I think, fighting it out for the uh, the top. Um, and, and the other, you know, Namibia and Singapore, I would expect to be third and fourth. But you know, they could be pushed by uh, Bermuda or, or PNG if they they play at their best. And some, you know, we have some of those uh, strange results uh, Taz mentioned. Yeah, I think that's actually a really spot on <laughs> um, guess at, at, at what's going to happen with that group. I do think that maybe Netherlands uh, in these conditions will edge it out over Scotland. But no, I'd, I'd agree with the rest of it completely. Kenya conspicuous by their absence uh, in in both of your predictions. Uh, moving on to Group B, which will be played in Abu Dhabi. Group A will be uh, at, in in Dubai. Uh, so Abu Dhabi, the host, the UAE, are playing in Dubai. We've talked about the uh, uh, the loss of uh, of Captain Mohammed Navi, the best batter, Sherman Anwar, and Kadir Kadir Ahmed. Uh, but uh, the UAE coming into the uh, into the tournament with uh, certainly before that very good results on the field and, and uh, as we talked about beat uh, Scotland in a warm up game um, can the UAE can the UAE keep that level of performance up with the loss of those players? Ooh, it's 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 hard to say because you know, it's not just about the talent it's, it's how they cope with with that sort of chaos you're, you're in Dougie Brown they've got a very uh, experienced coach who who I'm sure is doing it doing his best to sort of um you know help his team through the through you know well it's obviously going to be you know a tricky time for them personally as well as you know professionally if we can say that um you know, you'd often say your home advantage can play a role here but you know, the UAE, so many associate tournaments have played in the UAE. The UAE essentially don't have a home advantage anymore because you know, a lot of these teams have played a lot of games in the UAE over the last few years. Yeah, that's a very I good point, actually. Maybe I would say that the, maybe the one advantage they do have is the bowlers, the seamers in the conditions, uh, and their makeup of their side is still a little bit more advantageous to these pitches than other sides. Yeah. I do agree with everything else that you said. It's it's. A lot of it goes into the psychology of how you deal with your dressing room undergoing something as difficult as this, which does inevitably end up involving all of you anyway. Um, that's definitely going to be a factor. But I think that Emma Reza is a good captain. He's experienced. Um, he's played so many matches. He's a good left armer as well, left arm spinner as well. Uh, I, I think it's in good hands. He was, of course, formerly captain before uh, some disciplinary issues. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's, he's he's a good captain. I think he's got his head on his shoulders, and, and they'll come out pretty okay in those conditions. You've got a lot of good players. You've got Rohan Mustafa. You've got Ramiz. You've got Janet Siddiqui, Mohammed Osman. It's it's a good side, despite the losses that they will have suffered. Um, I personally think that it will end up motivating them, but it's something that can go either way. Um, it's obviously difficult news going into a tournament, but but I think that they're going to cope well with it. Um, Chirag Sri has been excellent all over the world. So I think that it's a side that is relatively used to playing together, as opposed to certain certain teams um, fielded in this tournament, and it's a side that does have slight conditions advantage. Yeah, I, I think they'll do okay. Maybe not top of the group, but I think they'll get them just. Well, another side who've had uh, personnel issues uh, and plenty happening off the field. Uh, Hong Kong, Anshuman uh, Rath, not that long ago, uh, quit Hong Kong cricket to try and make a domestic career 
for himself in India. Of course, he never, he was almost, um, uh, he almost never sort of was lost to Hong Kong uh, a long time ago because Middlesex wanted him uh, on their books but were denied by the uh, ECB's rather draconian and arcane uh, rules. Uh, but Bauer hired Tanvir Ament Essen, Nawaz, and Tanvir Afsal sort of all participating in a player revolt uh, and uh, basically quitting Hong Kong cricket. That, that's a lot of good players to lose all at once. It is, and you know, since the last uh, sort of World T20 qualifier back in 2015 as well, they've also lost Mark Chapman to New Zealand. Jamie Atkinson has uh, quit international cricket to concentrate on his teaching career. So mm-hmm. you know, they've gone under a lot of change over the last few years, and administratively as well. Obviously, you know, Tim Cutler's moved on. Um, you know, coaches, administrators, all all moved on recently. They've got Trent Johnson in as coach now, who I think will. Uh, uh, Obviously, he's used to these these tournaments through his Ireland career, these these sort of cutthroat tournaments. But this is it's a tricky time for for Hong Kong. They're very much a team in flux. Still, do have you know some decent players. Cal Christie definitely uh, one to keep an eye on. Scott McKenney as well. Uh, Both uh, you're both of them very very good players. Yeah, Scott McKechnie might be, the, in terms of the glove work, the best wicketkeeper in the tournament. He was absolutely brilliant mm. in the UAE and the uh, in, in the Asia Cup, standing up to Seamus Anta. Kinchit Shah is also a very good uh, all-round player. Um, but obviously, the Hong, Hong Kong have had a, a, a lot going on off the field uh, as well. I mean, it... It's hard to say whether um, whether the impact of the civil uprising will be, you know, a little bit, you know, much more serious in a way than the than the UAE. Not in a way; it's a hell of a lot more serious than the UAE's case of a few players uh, match fixing. But again, it's hard to say whether that will completely fracture the team or unite them. Yeah, and you always sorry, sorry, go you go. I don't think, to be honest, it's something that's going to affect the team. It's not going to be affecting what they're thinking going into the competition. Um, you know, you're professionals and you prepare for for this is what you live for right? Playing your game and trying to advance your side. I think some of the things that are probably more problematic in the lead up to Hong Kong's tournament, in addition to what you guys mentioned, is no sixes, no blitz. So we talked about development earlier and and ways in which players get to practice their game in in match conditions and against, um, you know, other very competitive players on the global scale. So without a sixes, without a blitz, I would really put that as, as one of my main concerns for a side like Hong Kong, in addition to player personnel change. Yeah, it's a very good point. You make both of those cancelled um, basically through to, through to sort of financial uh, con- considerations. Um, uh, Hong Kong kind of... Um, kind of burst through at the at the Asia Cup but uh, they didn't even have ODI status by the time that uh, by that Asia Cup time that Asia Cup rolled around uh, the game against India was uh, was an absolute classic uh, with uh, unsure of Zakat Khan who was uh, uh, the other the other batting star of that of that game is still uh, at the top of the order for uh, for Hong Kong but uh, uh, as much as the you know the, the sixes and the blitz have gone as well but Hong Kong just haven't had a lot of cricket yeah, and we saw in the uh, Oman Pentangular, they they lost all the games. Some you know, quite convincingly, they they they're having a, you know, a bad time off the field and on the field at the moment. Uh, you mentioned Oman; uh, they uh, didn't even have to come through a regional qualifier because, such as their ranking, they're actually ranked above Ireland in T Twenty cricket, or certainly were when the when the cutoff. Uh, was made uh, won that pentangular uh, with uh, with Hong Kong, Ireland, Nepal, and the Netherlands. Won every single game, albeit at home. Um, who who's key to Oman, and what? How 
what structures have been put in place to to accelerate their development so quickly? They've actually been sort of bubbling under for for quite some time now. They played in the 50-over World Cup qualifier in 2005 and 2009. Obviously played in the last World T20 where they beat Ireland uh, quite famously. They have some sort of talented uh, players in in that setup. Zeeshan McSood, uh, the captain, has been playing with them quite some time. Um, quite. Um, had an interesting debut where he got um, run out for 199 in a 50-over match. Uh, yeah, and then had to take the next next couple of days off because he was so ill. He was playing in, I think, 45-degree heat in the UAE. Um, so, I mean, you're batted to score nearly 200 and then absolutely knackered and had to take a couple of days off. Uh, you know, some other you know, good players as well, you know, Kawa Ali um, and... Um, Sorry, I'm just looking at the the team list here. Um, Bilal Khan, a, a decent bowler there. Um, no Amir Kaleem in the in the squad, so maybe no. Oh no, he's uh, he's in the squad. Sorry, Amir Kaleem in the squad, so maybe some some mancads to look out for. Very very good uh, batters. If you don't want to be run out uh, without facing, stay in your crease. Uh, uh, so uh, that's. Uh, so that's Oman, uh, uh, Canada, uh, obviously with the with the GT20. You know, Taz, you've seen the GT20 up close uh, in in Canada. Uh, how how big a difference has that made to the sort of the rate of acceleration of cricket in Canada? Uh, uh, that's a very difficult question. Honestly, that's a dissertation topic and not like a singular question on on a podcast. So there. There have been some components, um, for instance, people like Nikhil Dutta and Saad Bin Zafar, um getting to play with, with, with people like Andre Russell and, and Steve Smith and whatever and be dressing or in dressing rooms, with people who have been doing this at a higher level for a lot longer, getting to learn. Uh, but it's just been a couple of players. In terms of young players within the side and the setup who have had that same experience, there is maybe only one. Uh, Abrar Khan, and uh, he's an excellent player, but the GT20 has its limitations in, in terms of the difference it makes to the Canadian setup in itself. Um, Saad has been very lucky because he, he played in the, the final of the first GT20 um, with Vancouver Knights, and, and he was one of the key players in that tournament. He helped win that game give them the title so Saad's experiences he's he's had the pleasure of not just sitting on the bench but playing matches that's made a massive difference I think for his game it's brought it on so much Nitesh Kumar was always a talented player um getting to rub shoulders with with some players that he might be able to learn from has been good for him but I don't think that it's necessarily made as much of an impact as it has on a player like Saad um excellent excellent bowler um you've got Saad, who is right arm, no, left arm spin, and then you've got Nikhil, who's right arm. Um, and as a bowling duo, specifically for conditions like in UAE, I think they're excellent. They're going to be incredibly difficult to face. A lot of good batsmen as well. There's um, uh, Hamza Tarek, who's a very good wicketkeeper batsman. Uh, Rizwan Shima, who's exceptionally experienced. Ravi, Ravi Singh, who's had a very good lead-up um to the tournament and he maybe has had more experience in the gt20 that than he's had the canadian national um domestic setup where he plays for vancouver for bc 
Yeah, Ravinder Pal Singh only made his uh, his T20i debut uh, this year in August. Yeah, Rizwan Chima's 41 years old. Uh, has been been playing international cricket for uh, for a very very long time. Chima's 41. Okay, all right. Chima looks good for 41. <laughs> that doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you know he's a, he's a name that will um, will will jump out to uh, to uh, to people even if they're not uh, not wildly familiar with uh, with with Canada. Uh, so as uh, you know, the team that um, pretty comprehensively in the end won the uh, won the uh, the Americas uh, qualifier um, with with the investment that's gone into USA cricket and the fact that uh, the USA actually has a recognised governing body uh, now, you know. Will how long will Canada be able to remain the strongest power in in the Americas region? Uh, I don't think the Gulf is maybe as big as as the recent competition indicated. Um, you know, it's dependent on on certain factors like the makeup of the two sides that the USA and Canada fielded. Things have definitely changed a little bit since then. Obviously, with the US, um, they've had the loss of Hayden Walsh Jr. hasn't helped, but I don't think that 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 Gulf is maybe as big. As we saw, well, that was kind of my point. You know, the, you know, the USA seemed to be very much on an upward curve, and maybe this, you know, this tournament cycle came around, um, came around too quickly. Obviously, the Hayden Walsh Jr. Um, declaring and then being picked for the West Indies is obviously a, uh, a big loss. It, it, it is, but um, yeah, I think Tazzy's right. You know, the gap isn't as as wide as uh, as perhaps it can be suggested. You know, there is, and there's still you know they sort of undercurrent of not everything is quite right with um, with US cricket at the moment with the you know, administratively and there is there are, historically there's been a bit of that in, in, in Canada as well they tend to get they tend to sort of sneak under the radar because of the absolute yes. absolute shit show that is <laughs> your know, US cricket administration uh, so um, I think right there Canada um, it's not much better it's not much better than the US is it there's a lot of problems that's a very there low bar Yes, <laughs> and I think I will stand by it. <laughs> well, uh, um, moving on from from Canada, uh, uh, a side who, uh, a team and a set of who do seem to be very well administrative, uh, run administratively, and you know Taz and I have had some some close experience of that. Ireland um, with. Uh, uh, a team that has brought a little bit of fresh blood into the squad, uh, Mark Adair, who I'm a huge fan of, and the the Delaney brothers, some of um, David Delaney, was someone we uh, we were told to look out for um, by by none other than George Dockrell. Um, have Ireland been able to refresh that squad sufficiently? Oh, absolutely. That's what they've been doing for the last 18 months. So, so I have a lot of respect for the way that Ireland have approached their lead up to this competition. Um, I think a lot of teams tend to stick with older players, departing players, players in the twilight of their careers when there is a, a competition such as this or the, the, the World Cup itself, which Ireland will be aiming to be at this time next year. Um, they tend to stick with players too long. I think we saw that with Dhoni with the competition this year, the the uh, 50 over World Cup. Ireland have avoided a trap that I think a lot of teams tend to fall into. And they have spent maybe the last 18 months slowly bringing together a side, giving some youth more experience, um, bringing up other kids like Harry Tector. Um, I think that they've done a really good job at this. They've balanced losing um, certain players, great players, players that have been mammoth to the game. And they've, utilized the services of those who are 
heading towards the end of their career. Um, somebody like Kevin O'Brien, I'm sure, is um, planning on doing other things with his time relatively soon, whether they're coaching or, or whatever his plans may be. Um, but he's he's happily stuck around a little bit. And young players have, like Mark Adair, have come inside playing under people they grew up watching and people who have got, given them a lot of time and attention to get their game up. In these past 18 months, I think Ireland have sacrificed a few results. They have not, in this format, in the T20 format, they have not all gone the way they would have wanted. They have approximately a 50% win rate over the last year. Um, it, it's pretty a pretty middling statistic, I would say. But the reason that they have that is the way that they have been integrating young players you know, over, over a space of time instead of all at once or, or sticking with your your old generation who are ready to depart. And I think it's going to work for them. Um, I think it's a good strategy to spend a good 12 to 18 months working on that. Um, so people like Mark Adair, who a lot of people may not have heard of, have been integrated into that side. Then you've got batsmen like Andy Balberni having, you know, like coming to, to whether it's a little bit of a purple patch where he's just moved his game to another level. Um, that remains to be seen. So I, I think they actually have an incredibly good chance. You also mentioned, did you say Gareth Delaney or Gareth and David Delaney yeah. both are both both in the squad? Yeah, absolutely. Um, David Delaney is is pretty darn pacey, um, and and Gareth Delaney has been invaluable opening for Leinster. So I think it's a very strong side. They've they've gone with um, a T twenty tactic that works. Um, that they've been practicing for for a reasonable amount of time, and they've got the right personnel for it. If you have people like Kevin O'Brien and Paul Sterling up top, and and that strong start works for you, then I think this is the place to do it. And you know, Sterlow has a lot of experience in the UAE as well. And you know, Kevin O'Brien opening um, has been, I think, a long time coming. Um, they, yeah. you know, historically, they've tended to sort of approach T Twenty almost as a mini fifty-over game, and it, you know, it's, yeah. it's not—it's not that. You know, they've had Kevin O'Brien coming in as low as six or seven in a twenty twenty game, and a player like that you want at the top of the order to give yourselves a, a good start. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, although um, we we covered a Gorilla Cricket Islands tour of uh, well. I say tour, they played all their games in Dara Dunn, but against Afghanistan and, you know, um, Sterling and O'Brien, Kevin O'Brien got them off to some quick starts. They weren't quite able to capitalise them and got absolutely Hazratullahed in one game. Uh, but but that's a, but it's a very strong top three of, uh, of Sterling, Kevin O'Brien, Andy Balburnie, and then, um, you know, Mark Adair often comes up the order and he's seriously powerful. He hits the ball beautifully uh, cleaning. As you say, you've got uh, younger players coming through, Lorcan Tucker and uh, and Harry Tector, a couple of spin options in uh, Georgie Dockrell and, and Simi Singh. Uh, Boyd Rankin kind of leading that attack. Interesting to know that Josh Little didn't make the squad. We've talked a little bit about sides with good development, and Ireland is is one of the the associate na- well, sorry, emerging nations that are really up there, um, in the sense that their own domestic setup in, in all three formats is really coming along very well. So, as good as jo- there's probably half a dozen names that you could name for somewhere like Ireland and think, how come they missed out? Um, I think that they've gone with a, a good side. I. I think that what's going to really work for them in this situation, batting-wise, is the big hitting. They've got a little bit in there with Gary Wilson to balance it out, and you mentioned Mark Adair as a situation player. I don't think you can win T20s without situation players, whether they're you know somebody like Andre Russell or, or whoever that might be for your side who can come in dependent on the situation and play the 
way that the game needs um, finishing, or, or if you're setting a score, or whatever the case may be. I think Mark Adair is bur- going to burgeon well as one of those. I've seen him play in a couple of different positions based on the situation, and and yeah, it's a very impressive start. Um, as a bowler, I think he's going to be big threat in, um, in the UAE conditions, um, and maybe, you know, teaming him up with, with somebody like Delaney, with David, um, would be a good idea. They've also got a little bit of a balance of spin options, which you kind of sort of need if you're playing in the UAE. I think it's a good side. It's a balanced side. Um, there's a couple of names who've been left out, but, you know, with, with Leinster Lightning, um, that's not really that surprising. Yeah, for sure, and it's a it's a good position to be in when you can leave out good players. Sorry, just a um, just a slight correction. David and Gareth Lenny are cousins, not brothers. Uh, should uh, make sure we get that uh, correct. The final two teams in uh, in in Group B: uh, Jersey, who came through the uh, the Europe qualifier, qualified only via net run rate uh, over uh, a Germany team with a couple of county uh, players and a former Afghan international, Craig Meshkader, Michael Richardson, Oli Rayner was uh, um, talked about as becoming part of the setup and. Uh, is a puller who's played in Afghan um, to uh, international cricket for Afghanistan. So it's a very strong, a very strong team. They qualified past, albeit only just. Um, for those who kind of only know Jersey as a team who occasionally get mentioned when people talk about the rise of Afghanistan, um, how how well have Jersey done to come through that that Europe group? How strong is the Europe group, um, Andrew? I guess you'd be pretty well um, qu- uh, placed to to speak on this and. Um, how well will Jersey be able to compete um, in in the company they're in? Yeah, yeah the, the the Europe group is um, your top associates under obviously you know, Scotland and Netherlands and former Islanders have been going a bit of a change in recent years. You know, the next of teams used to be Denmark and Italy, but the, those two teams have fallen back a little bit recently after some sort of you know older players of you know you know came to the end of their careers and jersey and germany in particular have just started to to come up as well jersey uh, played in the last uh, t20 qualifier in in ireland and scotland of course um they have some you know good young players a lot of players who have played uh for county teams and your know, youth teams uh john t jenner played i think one first class match for sussex uh john t jenner I, i've been um, sort of singing his praises since he was 15 years old. I think he made his senior debut at 15, and he is you know, definitely one one to watch. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually ended up playing you know, in county cricket more permanently. Um, but there's you know, some other good players. Well, ben Stevens, a very good bowler, good at fielding off his own ball as well. I've seen him take a couple of absolutely spectacular court and balls in the past. Um, so they, they, have some, they have some talented players, and... He, they they did very well to sort of get past a you know a strong Germany side. You know, you, also, you know, when you see we have the impact Delray Rollins had for Bermuda, you know, you do wonder you had Oli Rayner been available for that Germany, um, you know, uh, Germany team in that in that regional qualifier, we would be having a I think we'd be having a very different uh, conversation now. Yeah, Ben Stevens, you mentioned, um, looking at names, by the way, his full name Benjamin David Hodfinger Stevens, which is an absolutely glorious uh, second yeah. middle name. Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, Jersey uh, coming through that that Europe qualifier, despite the strength of that Germany team. Uh, the final team in Group B, and for me, the best story of the whole of the whole tournament, Nigeria. Obviously, a massive population, the the, the most populated country um, in in Africa, um, a, a enormous um, potential player pool that uh, that Nigeria have. And you, you look at the um, 
um, you look at what could happen if there's a if there's a real um, if those structures do get put in place, and um, it's kind of it's really exciting to see how strong Nigeria could be. Yeah, you know, myself and uh, Russ Degnan had been we always used to uh, you know big Nigeria up on the Associate Cricket Podcast, um, the now sadly departed Associate Cricket Podcast. Um, as 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 a team to you know, look for in the future, and obviously they've qualified for, the, for next year's Under Nineteen World Cup. Um, They've done, I think, obviously, you're playing in this tournament in place of Zimbabwe. They, they were quite lucky to finish third in that regional qualifier. They, they, they had a game against Uganda on the last ga- on the last day, which was rained off that they probably would have lost. Um, so, you know, they, they're very much an upcoming team. I think this may be one tournament too early for them. Um, I think they'd probably have preferred a, maybe a couple more years of seasoning and, and uh, to, to come back for a future global qualifier. But, you know, they, I think you know, they're there, you know, this is, you know, no I think they're there more for the experience than as a as a potential qualifier. But, you know, you never know. Well, it's no... It's, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, go ahead, Taz. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, there is a good development side. They are preparing well but a couple of tournaments early i think is a fair way to put it um nothing wrong with throwing people into the deep end of the pool that's how you learn um and it's going to be a great experience um and like you said you never know anything can happen but i would agree with a lot of that does seem like a pretty exciting time for nigeria with the with the the senior team coming through to this tournament the under 19s um i would um that's kind of the reason i i wanted to phrase that question is that you know is it one tournament too soon obviously uh, if they can keep this group of players together um if you know a, a team that's played together through two or three tournament cycles um oh, becomes really strong also nigeria for me have absolutely won the battle of the kits i think oh, really i i'm into the pink i like the bermuda pink the bermuda pink's not bad i, I quite like the uh, is it the png with the collar uh, the white collar that's quite nice yeah, and old school yeah, I, like, I like the png i, I like the uh, jersey kit as well um scotland yeah. scotland really uh you know playing below playing their usual high high standard for kits um i'm very very disappointed in them yeah it's pretty boring it's pretty boring the scotland one this time around be, yeah i'd agree but i will be getting my um scotland bobble hat out in the cold weather that the rest of us are living through Hundred percent. Yeah, but I, I love that Nigerian uh, the green kit, not the the yellow the yellow and green one. I'm not so keen on, but the uh, the four green one I think is absolutely glorious. Yeah, in keeping actually with a lot of their football World Cup kits, which are, which are great. I'm um, gonna try and uh, get myself some merch. Cricket really does need to do better in well, one of the many things cricket needs to do better in is making merch available. Uh, but uh, yeah, I uh, want to represent that on a cricket field near you sometime soon. Uh, so that's the 14 teams uh, in this tournament. We'll wrap up with um, well, actually. Um, we, we spoke about who we think you guys think will qualify from Group A. Um, who's, who do you think is coming through Group B? I, I think you know, obviously Ireland. Uh, you know, Ireland are going to be the uh, the favourites to sort of top that group, and Oman, Oman maybe just behind. Um, you know, despite all the problems, I'm still expecting the UAE to be up there. Um, Hong Kong, maybe I could see Jersey pushing Hong Kong as well. Um, Canada, perhaps if results go their right way, and, you know, obviously I said you know, Nigeria. I think um, if I think Nigeria, if they can get you know maybe one win, maybe two wins, um, I think they'll probably be looking p- 
more to the game against against uh, games against Canada and Jersey to to, to try and you know, spring a surprise. But I think Nigeria are well out, so I think yeah, uh, Oman, uh, Ireland, the UAE, and probably just about Hong Kong in, in the top four there. So I pretty much agree. I'd say Ireland, UAE, Oman, and I think Canada will edge it out for me. Um, there's some young talent in there that I really like, and I think is has has had some opportunity at the GT20 um, and and knows what they're playing for. So I, I think the youth in Canada will see them through. There we have it for Group B. Um, based on those those assumptions, that Group A would seem to be would seem to be perhaps the the stronger group or the or the uh, the group with more teams capable of uh, of making it into that that final four and those chances of getting through uh, to the uh, to round one of the World T20, which takes place this time next year in Australia. Um, and just finally, um, well, which is, well, before we come on to the sort of the the stars of the tournament in terms of personnel. Um, which of these teams do you think, when they do get through to the World Cup, will be, you know, how do you think these guys will go when, when they come to to that first round and then into the Super 12s? I think we should, you know, let's not pretend it's the first round, let's call it the, the next qualifier, um, to, to be yeah. a bit... To be a, you know, a bit yeah. more accurate. Um, fair, fair no, nobody's fooled by it, are they? Um, uh, apart from some ICC commentators, uh, stars on Star Sports. Um, it, obviously, at least two of these teams will be going through to the Super Twelves. I think when it gets to to Australia, um, obviously different conditions from the qualifier, um, which. Uh, so it's sometimes hard to sort of read too much into results out of the qualifier when you actually get to the main event. Obviously, they'll be coming up against Sri Lanka and Bangladesh in that in that uh, first round stroke qualifier. Uh, obviously, you'd, you'd expect Ireland to be doing well and Scotland, and maybe the you know, Netherlands. Obviously, been there before. We got through to the yeah. uh, to the Super Tens back in two thousand and. 14 i think it was um has so, dealt england a couple of humiliations uh yes uh, england have never beaten the netherlands in a t20 um <laughs> yeah. so yeah um right, coley has his lowest odi average against the netherlands yeah uh, pete, you know, pete, pete boren says it's really easy to get coley out you just ball dibbly dobbly medium paces <laughs> at him and this is simple so um, yeah it, it'd be it's it's as I say, it's hard to read too much into what happens in the qualifiers versus what's going to happen in Australia. You know, so different, different conditions, different pitches. Um, you're, you're potentially bigger crowds as well. A lot of these teams won't have played in front of the sort of crowds they're going to be coming, uh, you know, going to be playing against in playing in front of in, in Australia. Yeah, it's yeah, a fair point. It's a fair point. God only knows what Sri Lanka's team's going to be by then. But Bangladesh are a pretty strong team um, mm. in in most conditions these days. Yeah, um, I think that a lot of these teams are pretty strong teams and that this is the format where where the gulf between any team is much smaller. Um, we saw what we saw at the Asia Cup with Hong Kong and India, which was a match that Hong Kong literally, literally did not win by the smallest of margins. Oh, they should have won, frankly. They sort of won, frankly. I'm sorry, I, I, was <laughs> saying, I, was saying they sh- I say they should have won. I think they threw that game away. 
yeah, I, mm. I agree. It was the smallest margin by which they lost that match. Um, if that can happen in ODI cricket, India is one of the strongest ODI teams or, or really any format teams in the world. That gulf is automatically so much so- smaller in T20 cricket. So although I agree that you shouldn't read too much in, you need a slightly different team composition in the UAE than you need to do well in Australia. You need to have different strengths. The pitches have been different. They've been playing here. A lot of factors, but I do think think that yes i expect that ireland and the netherlands will continually push most of the teams all of the teams that they come up against um but i don't think that they'll be the only sides that can push that kind of rather plays into into scotland's hands i guess on on harder uh harder better wickets but uh, all of that is for is for next year for uh, for this sort of, um kind of um pick up i guess four players top run scorer top wicket taker player of the tournament and Kind of want to watch slash rising star someone who we who um, more casual followers of the associate game and the emerging game won't be as familiar with, but who you think is going to going to star? Well, top run scorer. We can't go past George Munsey, can we? I'm happy with that. Yeah, Munsey probably up there, but so is Sterlow, I'd say. Okay, so the the familiar names or, or big names for familiar teams uh, coming through there. Top wicket taker. Well, this is a bit more open, I think. Um, it sort of depends what the pitches end up being like. Um, you know, in seam-friendly conditions, you, you may be looking at um, uh, Safian Sharif from Scotland. Uh, spin-friendly conditions, you, you may be looking at uh, Van der Merwe. So, um, I'd maybe add Safian Sharif, yes, in, in seam conditions. Maybe Mark Adair as well. Um, and if we want to talk about spin, my pick would be Saad Ben Zuffer. I think for, I think for spinners, I think Mark Watt shouldn't be shouldn't be discounted for Scotland. Yeah, I just yeah. don't think he's going to get the most out of those conditions as compared to Saad or or some other players. Fair, cool. So that one's uh, fairly open. I'd love to see actually what the betting markets are for uh, uh, for that. I might have a look at that uh, later. Player of the tournament. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that's very difficult. Yeah. Um, we'll take the fifth on this, on this one. <laughs> That's very difficult. Um, I think that you have so many front runners uh, that it's hard to pick one out. I do think that maybe batsman of the tournament ends up being the player of the tournament in, in most situations, unless we have some phenomenal bowling performances. We saw Safian do that at the last qualifiers that, that Scotland will remember, and maybe not as fondly as they'd like to... to look back on the ones that we're about to watch um Safian was was one of the best wicket takers um by a mile was it 17 17 wickets I think in the tournament so yeah I would say that Safian Sharif has a has a decent bet or maybe whoever ends up being the best batsman whether it's Munzi or I do think that Sterlow has played a lot in these conditions um in comparison to to George Munzi so he would probably be my call and of, course, and of course, maybe doing some bowling as well. Uh, obviously, a, a useful off spinner at times. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair shout. I mean, it it, it is difficult for for bowlers in, in just four overs to um, to kind of make those make, make those contributions. I mean, unless someone has a uh, an absolutely outrageous uh, tournament, as uh, as you say. Oh, um, you know, Josh Davies got a lot of experience of taking wickets at our uh, big tournaments. Fifteen wickets in the twenty fifteen uh, World Cup. Um, interesting, Taz, that you didn't go for Ryan Tendersh-Carter. Um, So, 
I feel like it's almost redundant to talk about Tendo because there is there are very few people in the entire world who have more T20 experience than him. Um, and I know as an Essex fan that this is always going to inevitably happen, but but that's just fact. He's played more T20s than almost anyone. You've got a couple of people like Gail and um, Malik who... Sorry. Every level Sorry. in every T20 tournament going, uh, that experience is, is something that you just can't buy or can't, can't teach or can't produce in itself. It matters. It's much more a situation-dependent skill. So I don't think that necessarily ends up doing something like racking up the most runs, and he doesn't really bowl anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that he's going to be an incredibly valuable player and a very interesting and experienced player to watch throughout the tournament. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's a flashy run type of situation. We might some, see something really, really, really fun from Sterlow, like um, a 60 off of 20-odd balls. Very capable of it. Yeah, for sure. And, and Sterlow is absolutely glorious to watch when he's in uh, when he's in full flight. And uh, you know, moving on from the from those kind of more famous names, um, someone to watch who, as I say, kind of casual observers might um, might look back at the end of the tournament and who is that guy? He's great. I'm going to pick a pick a strange one here. I'm going to pick Jake Dunford, the uh, Jersey wicketkeeper. Not necessarily because of his uh, his skill or his uh, batting ability. He's um, very vocal behind the stumps. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, very entertaining. Um, uh, you're like all good wicket keepers. Is a bit of a git. Um, <laughs> uh, Hi, Taz. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Very, very, very noisy player. He will definitely be picked up a lot on the stump mics. That's always good to hear a little bit of um, babysitting jokes. Uh, uh, Taz. My one to watch is definitely Abraj Khan. Um, he is Canadian. He was under-19's captain um, when he was playing at that level. He is um, an all-rounder, very explosive batsman, um, pacey bowler, can move the ball, um, has a little bit of variation in him. And more than... Oh, he's a great fielder as well. But more than anything else, this is like a 20, 21, 22-year-old. And I have not seen that much fire in a young player um, close up. Like, I, I, I don't know when the last time would be. He has gotten a couple of opportunities when he played with Edmonton Royals and then Brampton this year um, in the second year of the GT20. couple of opportunities. And every opportunity that he has had, he has, even as somebody who thinks highly of him, he's kind of exceeded expectations. Um, excellent cricketer in the making. Yeah, very good. Uh, um did play at the Under-19 World Cup in, in 2016 as well, Abrash Khan. Um, and uh, so that uh, wraps up our preview of the uh, of the 2019 uh, Men's World T20 Qualifier uh, special. Thank you very much, uh, Taz and Andrew, for, for joining me and uh, uh, educating me and, my, and, uh, and our listeners on uh, on the two weeks of hopefully excellent and thrilling cricket we're about to see. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you also to our producer, John. Remember, you can get this podcast before anyone else by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Gorilla Cricket. Uh, but uh, if you want to wait for whatever reason, because you really love delayed gratification, you can get it on iTunes, ACAR, Spotify, or Podbean. If you listen on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they're calling it these days, please do leave us a five-star rating 
Uh, please leave us a review. And whatever platform you're on, uh, share it uh, with your friends. Uh, join us again uh, next week for uh, another episode of the GC Podcast. But until then, from everyone here at Gorilla Cricket, it's goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, oh, oh,